What's up, everybody? It's Reggie Williams, founder and CEO of Ambrosia for Heads. And with me, I have Jake Payne, our editor-in-chief. And together, this is our What's the Headline podcast. What's happening, man? Yo, man. Spring has sprung. It's good to be here. How about you? We took, uh, we took a week off last week, right? Yeah, man. Uh, we did. Uh, to those who are new to the party, we only talk when there's something to talk about. We don't chase clicks we don't want to we do this for the love and when there's actually something meaningful and this week there was definitely something meaningful uh we had pusha t's album drop pusha has been talking about this for a few months now right saying it was going to be a masterpiece album of the year yeah longer than that i mean this is his first album in close to four years and you know shortly after daytona that was an album that earned him a grammy nomination for album of the year um, it felt like right around the time the pandemic started, Pusha let folks know that he was up to something. And more recently, you're right, you know, um, did a press rollout, included uh, a Hot Ones, which we covered on AFH. And, you know, Pusha's never been shy about his confidence. And, you know, I actually thought for a minute that this was going to be titled Album of the Year because that was kind of what he campaigned with, Um and in the end, he ended up, I mean, Black Milk years ago had used that title for something, but in the end, he settled with it's almost dry. Word, word. I, I want to ask this, but I, I want to wait until we're done talking about it. But let's remember let, to, to talk about whether or not we think he delivered on that promise. Word. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so what's going on? Like, how's, how's your week been generally? Uh, my week has been a little bit crazy. I was on the road a bit this week, um, traveling. Um, for me, I'm one of those folks that likes, you know, uh, um, a, not secure, but like a, a place to work where I can have my noise, my music, all of that. And I didn't have that the last two weeks. So sort of like the JBs, man, I've been on the run. Um, and it's, it's been cool, but I'm back settled now here in Philly. Um, yeah, so that was me, though. How about you? You're out of your routine. Uh, same way, man. Like I am doing this thing called Whole 30. You ever heard okay. of it? I have. I have. I have some friends who've done it. Yeah. So it's mostly whole foods, no processed sugar, no dairy, no alcohol, no fried foods, no bad foods, just all like, you know, good whole foods uh, for 30 days. I'm going to do it for 32 days. It's been a head trip because, you know, I usually go hard like six days a week. And then on the seventh day, like I just go ham with like junk food and beer and, and whatever and so it's been great to have that kind of clarity and continuity so we'll see we'll see how um, how as of today how many days down are you so i am nine days in now okay. yeah yeah any scratching your neck you missing anything in particular man i mean you know what like definitely there's some times like friday night was looking to have a drink you know that you know that's a, but it's also ritual yeah. So much of it is, okay, how do I close down the week? Like, let my body know this the weekend. And having a drink is one of those easy ways. So I'm having to find different ways of doing that, which is cool. You know, it's interesting. I mean, we've covered a lot of this on AFH over the years. But a lot of, you know, the folks that we look up to in hip-hop music and culture have, you know, altered their lifestyles. You know, they'll take periods of time of sobriety or periods of time where, you know, they'll go vegan or, you know, only, only uh, like you said, don't. Uh, foods that aren't processed it's interesting and I love the fact that those conversations are going public because you know the same way artists can influence you to do something that's not so healthy it's cool to see that that kind of discourse happening right now 
Yeah, man. A, a lot of the artists we talk about who have thrived in their 40s, I think, fit into that category. Who had a lifestyle change. You can see it physically. You can hear it in the music, like the clarity they have. Royce being an obvious one. Uh, looks great. Sounds great. It's put out his best work. Um, Master Ace is another one. You know, we had the pleasure or I had the pleasure of sitting down with him um, and talking to him about um, his album. Uh, you remember what? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Brooklyn Story with Marco Brooklyn Polo. Brooklyn Story. Phenomenal. Uh, both, both he and Marco Polo. And um, that was great, man. But he had a full lifestyle change like that, too. So anybody out there, if you're thinking about it, highly recommend it. Like the clarity it brings is pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely, man. I do some work with Questlove and Fonte, and both of them are two guys who, you know, came into the pandemic one way and came out another, you know, weight loss, um, dietary changes, just mental health. And it's great to see. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on that journey myself, and I love the fact that that conversation exists. Yeah, man, and it's real. You know, we are losing our, our, our contemporaries, our legends, uh, way too soon. We had that happen earlier this week. We lost DJ K Slay, age of 55, had been in the hospital battling COVID since I think December, December, January. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, huge, huge, huge impact. Um, you know, people forget. I think a lot of folks know K Slay, you know, from mixtapes or, you know, his bigger than life kind of radio personality and straight stunt magazine. But if you've ever seen the film Star Wars, I mean, that's Desi Des. K Slay was a phenomenal, um, you know, graffiti writer. And actually, you know, one of the times um, I saw you, I think you and I kicked it in 2020, like a week, 10 days before the pandemic, I came up for um, an exhibit in the Bronx um, of Henry Chalfant, who's from my same hometown, put on. And we, we put it up on our IG page, but there's a phenomenal photograph of Case Slay with a boombox standing in front of one of his pieces. Um, and he kept that in life. Um, so, and, and stayed true, multi-element, just RIP to Case Slay. That, that story was really sad. And that so many people are kind of adhering to the narrative that, you know, COVID is over, we're moving on. That was a stark reminder that we all got to be careful and take care of each other. Yeah, man, a true embodiment of the culture, all aspects of it, kept himself relevant over time, you know, from graph to mixtapes to DJing on the radio to later on the last few years putting out compilation albums, you know, um, like Khaled, like, like Flex, like K Slay has put out for the underground, for the independent artists in particular, and, you know, had these really incredible, like, multi-artist tracks and he, 50 deep, 100 deep. Like, yeah, exactly. The last one, I think, was 100 deep, which was incredible. But pretty much uh, all AFH artists, like, you know, every lyricist you can think of was on that track. Pretty incredible. So Yeah, and, and what I admire, too, about K Slay is, you know, on that track, 100 deep, he's got Grandmaster Kaz, he's got Melly Mel, he has Ice-T, um, I think Como D is on there and on the same track is, you know, Locksmith, you know, another artist that he went to the mat for my song, like K Slay. One of the things that you and I've always tried to do with AFH is, is bridge the generations, have a meeting ground where folks that have different entry points of hip hop can get along, share culture, exchange discourse. And K Slay did that with his street sweepers label and projects. And you're absolutely right. And, you know, early in his career, he was he was front and center for the Nas and JB, Jay-Z beef, you know, breaking joints like Ether. Um, but it's cool for as much as there's that and he was the quote unquote drama king, 
you got to say what this guy did for the culture on a, on a positive level, which he did until the day he passed, man. Absolutely, man. We know how hard it is to get artists on a track. And so to get a hundred artists shows the ultimate respect that he had from people in hip hop. So rest in peace to him, um, you know, condolences to his family, friends, all of us fans. Yeah. Big, big loss. Absolutely, man. So on a positive note, um, you know, going back to Pusha, Pusha's album dropped on Friday. Uh, it's almost dry. So the album, he's had an interview with Rolling Stone and he explained the album title. He said, I'm always creating a masterpiece. And in the creation of that, in terms of painting, you end up telling people while they're waiting on it, it's almost dry because they're always asking, when will it be done? He, and he said also, and you have to wait on masterpieces. Also in drug culture, a lot of times you'll have people waiting on the product and it's not dry yet. You can come get it when it's dry. So, you know, push it always with the, the double entendres um, and the metaphors like super dope. The cool thing about this album is that it was produced by Pharrell and Kanye West primarily. You know, Kanye had some assistance here and there. But um, Pusha said on The Breakfast Club that he made this, this album his personal verses between Ye and Pharrell. He said that he got tons of tracks from each one. He picked the best six from each one. And basically, like, made it his own his own verses. So, Jake and I were talking this week, and we decided we're going to review the album, but we're going to re review it in the context of that statement too, and talk about you know who won this battle between Ye and Pharrell in terms of the beats while we're talking about the album. Let me begin there and ask you a question, just just for a barometer of taste. Um, you know, between those two producers, given their impacts, and obviously. You know, Pharrell's career as a producer starts a few years before Ye, in terms of credits, at least. Did you have, I mean, just, just based on taste, we haven't pressed play on the album yet. Do you have a favorite between those two? Yeah, man, it's hard because, uh, you know, Kanye has been responsible for some of my favorite beats of all time in hip hop. Huge fan of the Black album and what he did on that album. Um, I love his first album. Um, my Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is probably in my top 20 of all time albums. Uh, graduation, late registration. Like I love Kanye as an artist and as a producer, especially. And in particular, like Donda has grown on me. I've spoken about that. It's grown on me a bit like uh, more over the last several months. But when it comes to Pharrell, Pharrell transcends hip hop for me. Trans Pharrell is one of my favorite producers of all time. I put him probably top three. You know, for me, it's, um, you know, it's um, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, probably number one. Um, you know, Dr. Dre is probably number two for me. Mm. And the number three is Pharrell and, and particularly the Neptunes. Like that whole sound for me was incredible. And even though it was such a specific sound that, as we listen back in time is, is, you know, endemic to an era and maybe even dated to, to, to some degree, if you're being honest about it, um, the way he's evolved his career in the 2010s and beyond is amazing too, with Happy um, and um, Get Lucky and um, what's the song that you love, uh, the one with the, the heavy drums on it, um, it's almost good. like an you talking about the Diddy song that never made yeah, the album? Yeah, yeah, with yeah. The, uh, yeah, exactly. yeah uh, damn. I, I want to call it because I got it like that, but it's not. It starts with the same Schooly D Saturday night. Yeah. I love that. You're absolutely you love right. That song. Yeah. You love that song. And Migos, you know, like, yeah. um, 
like Pharrell has been on a 20 year run now. And I, and I got a fun story. So I went to this video music awards after party uh, that Puff did, I think it was like 2003 or so. Puff had sent out the invitations and he said, fellas, get your cuts, you know, uh, freshen up ladies, get your waxings. You know, and he said like, no jeans. This is all strictly high fashion. I mean, Dior and Gucci and, you know, Louis, whatever it might be. So I get to the party and I'm wearing a tux, you know, fresh out of the VMAs, the whole nine. And Carson Daly is standing in line. And Carson Daly, for those uh, listeners who don't know, is a former host of TRL. Um, it's the 106 and Park of MTV. And um, he was standing there and he had three friends with him, right? And his friends had on jeans. And so the bouncer was like, hey, you know, you can come in, Carson, but but your friends can't. And he's like, do you know who I am? I'm Carson Daly. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, cool. Like, um, you know, but but your friends can't come. You can come in, but your friends can't come in. So Carson, like, you know, storms off, says, fine, I'm out of here. Uh, a few minutes later, I saw him walk back in without his friend, right? And so everyone in there is dressed to the nines. Um, and there's this moment where I see this dude in a trucker hat and a t-shirt and some like cargo shorts. And you know who I'm talking about, right? Pharrell was the only dude in there who broke dress code, but he was also like, there was like a 10 song straight medley of just Neptune's produced hits. He was the dude, he was the hottest dude in music period then. So that's Pharrell for me. That's a long way of saying that um, if it's between Pharrell and Ye, I'm team Pharrell, but I'm gonna try and be objective for this. How about you? Interesting. I agree with everything that you said. I would not put the Neptunes in my top three. You know, I'm more of um, a sample based guy, you know, not that Dre isn't, but, you know, and I know you, you went in all of music, including um, Jimmy and Terry. You know, I remember where I was, you know, the first time I started paying attention to the Neptunes, they had, a, I think it was a Mace record called Looking at You, and it came out on MTV. And like, that sound was so distinct. And then they did Super Thug with Nori and, um, you know, uh, obviously the ODB stuff and Khalees and, and different things. And I like that, but I've always been a, you know, I've always preferred sample based hip hop. So while I appreciated the rhythms and the uniqueness of the Neptune sound, truly, um, it was the clips that changed things for me. A record like Grindin', which, you know, sounded like lunch table, you know, beats, I just thought was absolutely incredible. And what they did with Star Trek of, of the first clips album, Lord Willen, you know, the first one that they released, as well as like Roscoe P. Cold Chain and, you know, NERD, I became a fan. And, and I really like, you know, as Pharrell has kind of made more of a discography on his own um, in the 2010s and 20s, I've loved that because he's really hard to pin down um, to that Diddy point, to what he's done with Daft Punk, um, you know, 2 Chains. There's just a ton of really interesting music that comes out of that camp. And, and he's such a, um, you know, impresario, to your point, with what they've done with fashion, with what they've done with just a positive, approachable energy in the culture. It's so interesting as we're talking about this album, you know, Push's album. I really like that in the uh, genius, you know, the Netflix documentary with Kanye, the scene between those two of those guys. And as Kanye is looking for validation in his way in the industry, the way that Pharrell treats him at that time. Um, it's just a cool moment in time because, boom, you know, fast forward 
damn near 20 years, you got these guys squaring off on this album, which like you said, is modeled after a, a versus, um, you know, at least in Push's mind. Yeah, you know, that, that uh, I agree with that. The grinding beat was super, super tough for me because it was kind of contrary to what you heard in hip hop at the time and was a real throwback to that early Def Jam sound of just nothing but drums and, and, and beats and rhymes, literally, you know, and um, it's timeless because of that. So it's interesting because that was Clips's first single, if I recall, and mm-hmm. I'm wondering, but but it's also like, you know, Push's connection to Kanye is so deep now with good music and being the president of the label and their long history that sometimes you forget that they actually started with uh, the Neptunes and Pharrell, you know, obviously the Virginia hometown, like connection and, and all that. So putting this album aside before we get into it, um, let's make the question more specific. Which version of Pusha have you uh, liked more in the past? You know, Pusha with Kanye or Pusha with Pharrell? It's a great question. I mean, and there's a lot of movable parts there because, you know, they put out two and I'll call it a half albums the clips did with Pharrell. And then, you know, No Malice, you know, has the spiritual awakening, releases his memoir, which was a great read at the time. And then Pusha, Pusha kind of stays the path and, and becomes this, this like Jay-Z figure of like, yo, I'm gonna tell you what it was like back then and how close I am to it still today. And I prefer that. I really thought around 2000, like the 2000s were the clips and Neptunes, 2010s by and large for me in my mind is, 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 is Pusha with Kanye. I mean, the breakout moment for me, you mentioned the VMAs when they did the runaway performance where the camera panned down and, and, you know, Kanye's in the kind of the blood orange double breasted suit and push comes out, you know, and that was, that was the reinvention point of like, you know, this group splitting up, what is it going to be? Are these two guys that are going to really suffer the slings of, of not having each other. And instead Push's career goes into overdrive and it coincides with, you know, him, really kind of using Drake's star power um, and, and attacking it, kind of being the um, opposition to what Drake represented. And he started putting out, you know, these freestyles and, and these um, kind of Lucy's in the Kanye period that I thought was really interesting. And all of that leads to 2018's Daytona, which um, I think is a benchmark album for Pusha, earned him a Grammy nomination. It was um, part of that, series of albums that good music and Kanye put out in the summer of 18 and to me Pusha went from an artist and I was I was certainly wasn't around the clips but I remember covering the clips in, in 2005 2006 7 8 9 where they weren't getting the label support from Jive they were kind of a your favorite artist favorite group and instead Push you know 20 years into his career became a superstar became a mogul, you know, writes the jingle for McDonald's with Justin Timberlake, the I'm loving it, and then has the business acumen to do the Arby's joint and get way more paid for it. Um, you know, Push does all of these different things. And yeah, so it's a long way of saying I prefer the second chapter, but what about you? Man, it's tough. Um, I love Clips, those first two albums, and even the, the album with I'm Good, like I, I love all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, so but, casket but, drop. Yeah. Yeah. But, J- but, but, but yay on Daytona, I thought was uh, Pusha at his finest at that point. 
you know, songs like, um, you know, Infrared, where it was incredible. And um, Games We Play is probably, you know, maybe my favorite pusher track, definitely top five for me. Um, It's tough, man. It's tough. I, I think I still lean toward Pharrell. Uh, just because of the clips and and how that established Pusher's career, but but it's a tough one, you know. You know, it's interesting though when you mentioned that versus. I had to look in my mind. It feels like there have been a lot of albums where it's not just these two guys, but they've each done multiple songs. And I'm, I might be missing some, but I came back with three. And obviously, two of them are Jay Z's albums. Both Pharrell and Kanye are two go tos throughout Jay's career. Um, but you know. Blueprint 2, they each did multiple songs on. Um, that was, of course, where Pharrell had the Excuse Me Miss hit. Um, Kanye sets it off with the, uh, you know, um, It Was All a Dream, the posthumous Biggie joint with Faith. And he also had O2, Bonnie and Clyde. They both did multiple joints on the Black album, which you alluded to a moment ago. And then, um, you know, Pusha's kind of breakout, what feels like his real, his real solo debut album, there were mixtapes and stuff before, but My Name Is My Name back in 2013, and they were both part of it. Um, you know, it's not right in front of you, but in your mind, in those past albums, were there were one of those two producers eclipsed the other, or is that kind of even a moot point? I'm struggling to even remember what Pharrell did on Black Album. I know Kanye did Encore. And uh, Lucifer. And Lucifer, Lucifer was, ooh, Lucifer was like, that was rugged. What, what, did, what did Pharrell do on that? uh pharrell did you raise an interesting question what was it allure and right, is that allure. right and uh, yeah. and hold on it's right in front of me allure was my joint too um but i i'll based on that i'll give it to kanye uh i mean i think the real like person who shown the most was just blaze with doa change clothes change clothes yeah yeah i'll give it to kanye on that i'll give it to kanye for sure on that how about you I give it to Kanye on all three. Um, yeah. Now, with one caveat, there's people out there that love Excuse Me Miss. That has always been a song when I'm out and, you know, back in, in my club going days, like if that came on, that was never my joint. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, the Pharrell Jay-Z connection was never my favorite. I think you and I differ a little bit on that, um, just in terms of, of, of the chemistry there. So, yeah, I, I give it up to Kanye. So that sets the stage. And you and I, you know, we, we tend to agree on this one. So even give it to me that 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 wasn't that one was good. Let's like no no denying that. But the 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 gravitas of Jay Z and Kanye between the early like two thousand and two thousand four was insane. Two thousand three, like that Black Album run, what they were capable of is crazy. And and in my mind, it's funny to say because you know Pharrell was not part of Blueprint um, on the production tip, but like this theme that Push is going for with it's almost dry reminds me of blueprint because really that's about three producers. That's about Kanye, just blaze and bink. Um, sure. Eminem did a song and the track masters did a joint, but I was trying to rack my brain of like, where are the, 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 the noteworthy albums that are split between two or three producers. And I think blueprint is by far the biggest example. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it was one other thing I was going to say about that. You know, Allure was my favorite moment in the the um the documentary um uh was blackout yeah um and pharrell says jay loves those a minor chords you remember that scene we was talking about that 
He talks about how um, politics as usual is A minor chords and how just Jay just goes crazy on those. And so uh, I love just seeing like the science behind it, you know, because um, he's an artist, but he also understands the craft better than most. Yeah. So, um, you know, even though it wasn't my, necessarily my favorite song on the album, it was my favorite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply favorite scene in that movie for sure and um yeah I, I, lo- I love how they work together all right so let's get into it man uh let's go track by track uh let, let's figure out which one we think won this verses and also talk about the album uh so again pusha said there's no better uh, there's no album that's better than mine this year we're going to get into that it starts off with Brambleton with Pharrell. So you want to kick off a uh, discussion on that one? Yeah, and I did some some research. You know, this song is interesting. Um, Pusha has given you these records before, which again kind of comes from the Jay-Z playbook of like naming names and really be revisiting the past. Um, and even down to this, this very song references the breakup of The Rock. But um, the name, you know, applies to a street um, in Virginia where uh, Pusha's mom reportedly worked as a pharmacist. Um, it references uh, poo. You know, they talk about, you know, poo getting shot, which is shampoo, which longtime Clips, Clips fans will recognize the reference. Um, actually, on Virginia, we were talking about Lord Willing. They spent a lot of time talking about shampoos, which is one of the first songs a lot of people that purchased the album would have ever heard from the Clips that was their own. Um, it also addresses a former Clips manager, Anthony Jeezy Gonzalez, who did a media run um, recently. You know, there's references... Um, in this song to, you know, talking to folks like Vlad TV. Um, he's the same figure, I believe, that was mentioned on the song Snitch previously. Um, I thought that this was an interesting place to start the album. It, it definitely, like, buckle up, grabs you, which let's not forget, you know, Daytona began with my favorite Push It's uh, T song of all time. If you know, you know, like, he holds himself to that high standard when you just press play. Um, and I think that this does that. Um, you know, what, what jumped out to you when you first played it? Yeah. Opening an album, I think is a really tough thing and it's, there's an art to it. We talked about Benny, the butchers, Tanner top four and starting off with Johnny P's caddy with, with Cole and how that was probably too much firepower because there was not really any place to go. It was like starting at the apex and the rest is, um, it's kind of downhill from there. And that's not a knock on the other songs. It's just like, just talking about how great that song was. This one I think is perfect because um, it's a mid-tempo song. It's vintage pusher. You know, it's got these eerie, like, you know, uh, piano sample to it and like heavy drums. And it really lets his vocals shine. And, uh, you know, he comes in with that menacing voice that he uses. And so, you know, as a, a fan, it instantly grabs you because it's what you're expecting from Pusha. And, you know, but it also uh, isn't so overwhelming that as to like not leave room for, you know, other surprises and, you know, sort of more climaxes as the album goes. 
So for me, it was great. I thought it was interesting that the drums were more trap type drums. And, you know, these are artists who weren't necessarily boom bap, but definitely were not trap, you know, 10 years ago or so. But it's just a testament to how much that sound has dominated hip hop for the last 10, almost 15 years now. That um, even for people who don't necessarily listen to trap music per se, it's just kind of the norm for drum sounds now. So it, it's a all at once familiar, but also contemporary at the same time. So I thought it was a great opener. I would agree. And I don't know if I said, but I mean, this one is produced by Pharrell. And I thought that, you know, just from a, a track standpoint, you know, boom, Pharrell's one for one. He's his first plate appearance. And I definitely think this this joint is an extra bass hit within the album. Yeah. And Pusher, man, like, you know, like we said, he's been around for 20 years now, but he has done a really fantastic job of not chasing trends, but also staying current. I think better than most MCs. I think Jay has done pretty well with that too, but I, I might even get pushed to nod in that category. Yeah. I mean, Pusha, you know, his content wise, he tends to stay in a comfortable space. And I think that's what fans expect from him. Um, I mean, that's so much of his brand identity. And I was curious up until I saw the title and caught the reference, you know, if this would be a deviation from that. Um, but whereas other artists sonically tend to stay in that same place too, Pusha refuses to. Every album has is different and, and it sprawls a little bit further each time. And, and I think you're, you're right. To let you know at the first song that this is where this album could be going just makes for a compelling listen right away. What about lyrically? Is there anything that grabs you lyrically? Um, you know, this one is one of the denser songs. I mean, obviously the subject matter, you're, you're going back in time. Um, he's not saying necessarily anything new. The, I think this song is very much modeled after, you know, Jay-Z's Lost Ones, where he looks at the unity that he had, you know, back in the 90s in the streets or even in, during the clips come up. And he speaks about why it's not there. And, you know, Pooh's case, you've got fatality, you've got tragedy. Um, and in Jay-Z's case, you know, the former manager you've got betrayal, you know, at least by Pusha's estimation. And I like those kind of songs because I think you can, you can listen to them and apply them to your own life, whatever you do, whatever you experience. So yeah, I think that lyrically, um, in terms of subject matter and delivery, this is one of the better points of the album. Yeah, I think that the Vlad TV reference definitely perked my ears up. Uh, one thing I'll say about Pusha is that he's not one. We did a whole podcast last episode about jay-z and his subliminal disses you know his secret disses pusha like makes no bones about it like he's naming names he's giving you specific details he does not leave room for guessing uh if you know you know and also you know often he'll spell it out even for the casual listeners so that stuck out to me but you know right away you also know that push is not deviating necessarily from where he's gone in the past mostly focused on um the coke rock aspect you know flossing um and like calling people out you know, yeah so yeah. those sinister ass bars this is the same dude that you know on his last album used the photograph of where Whitney Houston died I mean when I think of the word sinister I think of Pusha T and it's made him so interesting when he's gone at Lil Wayne or gone at Drake or just gone at other artists and, and that carries over um I'll do the next one too if that's cool sure. with you um, the next song is, is Let the Smokers Shine the Coops, which is the perfect segue to what I'm talking about. I mean, obviously, this is one of those, like, I'm going to take you back to being in a place where there's, 
you know, users and abusers around and contrast that with wealth of like, yo, I got this coupe. Hey, you want to make a few dollars? You want to make something shining? Um, personally, I think this might be the best beat of the album. Um, it's, it's provided by Pharrell, and I hope I'm saying this right, with OG Volta, um, who appears a few different places on the album. But, you know, this one is just, it's, it has that, that energy and that sound to it. And it is very different than, you know, the Pharrell that we got with Push early in his career with Clips. Um, in terms of its content for me, I thought it's pretty textbook. I mean, you can look at a title like that, know that it's Pusha T and get a pretty good idea of what you're getting. Um, the thing that I thought was interesting too, I was doing some reading and Shaheem Reed, you know, 25 year veteran, veteran hip hop journalist. Um, he had reported that this song was based on Glaciers of Ice by Raekwon and kind of capturing that Raekwon and RZA battery. And I think that's interesting too, because one of the things that, you know, Kanye did with those albums like Daytona is he asked artists to bring in albums that inspire them. And they kind of use that as a model to build off of. And this is obviously Pharrell, but if you know that and you play those songs back to back, well, they don't necessarily sound the same. You can hear the element and, and make the connection. At least I could. Yeah, man. Shout out to Shaheem. I worked with him for a while when I was at MTV. Saw him not too long ago for the first time in quite a while at the uh, Video Music Box premiere party that they did for the Mass Appeal documentary, honoring D uh, Uncle Ralph, which, by the way, if people haven't caught that, is phenomenal. Um, the second installment of their documentary series um, on hip-hop reaching 50 just came out uh, on Thursday. I think it's called Insane in the Brain, uh, Cypress Hill documentary, also dope. But yeah, man, this one... Another banger for Pharrell for me. Um, he's two for two uh, in my book. I don't have much to add. I, I like the beat and, you know, lyrically just kind of uh, more of the same themes that we've heard. But yeah, this is a, a strong one-two punch for the opening for me. Yeah. Uh, now, next up is Dreaming of the Past. And this is Kanye's entry to the album. This one to me... Um, I'm gonna. You, you you mentioned the last one as being you know like Raekwon's Glaciers of Ice, Ray and, and Rizza. I'm gonna say this is reminiscent of Otis to me in a, in a in a few ways. This is kind of Ye's almost like Otis Part Two for me. So you know, in Otis, he flipped a Otis Redding sample, and he used the sample, uh, the vocal sample throughout the entire track. It wasn't just the hook; it was also during the actual verse which was uh, different than what we typically hear. Typically you hear the sample, you know, uh, either as part of the chorus or like intro or whatever it might be. And this one, he flips a classic uh, Donny Hathaway vocal and he uses it throughout the entire song, not just the chorus, but in this case, it's actually, I found it to be very distracting. I thought the sample was very, very high in the mix. I thought it was hard to hear Pusha and it was almost uh, cluttered and that there was so much going on. When you hear Ye say the refrain, interestingly, he drops the vocal sample there, but he pushes it back up when Push's verse comes on. You know, Ye did this on Nas's album, Nazir 2, with Cop Shot the Kid with Slick Rick, which on the first listen was cool, first couple of listens, but then after a while it became kind of grating to me just because it's just so repetitive and so dominant on the track. And for me, it was the first kind of miss on the album. Um, you know, I think it would have worked much better if it was just a hook and not 
something that was just throughout the entire thing. So for me, um, I got it still as uh, Pharrell 2, Kanye, Zip uh, in my book. But how about you? Yeah, I'll begin by saying the same score. Actually, um, your, our scores are, are very similar as it pertains to this album. Um, this one, yeah, I was disappointed in. I, I do believe you can sample the same thing in hip hop. I mean, especially in the 80s with those James Brown records or in the early 90s with Parliament Funkadelic. You got a lot of artists that are doing the same thing. Um, you mentioned the sample, very popular live version by Donny Hathaway. It's the same sample Nate Fox used for uh, Juice with Chance the Rapper. Same sample they couldn't clear to bring that to the DSPs. And when you listen to that, um, it took me a long time to realize what it was. And I thought they really freaked the funk out of the beat. And that, that was a breakthrough moment for me and just being a fan, fan of Chance. Kanye's Kanye. I and mean, coming to this, I expected more. He's used this technique before. I don't know that I got the Otis attempt point that you're making. Um, you know, this kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Let the Sunshine In when he flipped that for most deaf back in the day or, you know, some, but it, it just lacks that chutzpah. Um, and oddly enough, you know, I had read that this was something Kanye had made for himself originally for Donda. It even appeared in one of the early track listing iterations of that album and Pusha reportedly begged for the beat. Um, that being said, I didn't, I didn't think that, you know, it, it quite measures up. Um, I definitely would, would, would share your score that, you know, at this point, Pharrell's up to zip. Yeah. Do you think it would have worked better as an instrumental? You mean like if you just listen to the track, you know, like I can hear its appeal without additional vocals because having the sample be such prominent vocals kind of provides that, you know, but putting the vocals on top of it gets tough for me. Yeah, I mean, Kanye's been able to do that before. I mean, you know, when we really started paying attention, I, I think of a song like Get By and they did that. But, but to your point, it, it, it amazes me on an album of this level, given the resources available. I think it's mixed horribly, you know, um, actually Kanye raps on the song too. And when you listen in the car and those are car speakers, we're not talking about studio, you hear him come in higher at a higher volume. The chorus, a point you just made, Reggie, is super distracting. Um, this one's just kind of cacophonous. And, and I look at that and I'm like, I saw them really trying to hit that pocket. Um, you know, again, Kanye did something like this with a, a Talib Kweli mixtape joint, All the Lonely People. And they really let the record, you know, the chorus play like that through for the familiarity and the kind of channel of vibe. This one I really thought was trying to do too much and it just didn't measure up. Yeah, I mean, even get by the vocals were really on the chorus, not like throughout the verse, you know, you, you heard, you, yeah. heard that, you know, so I, I think if he had pulled it back, you know, this was this was him, I think, letting the track dominate the vocals. So I'll put that on. Yay. You know, and also for people who are, are just now starting to listen, Jake and I often agree, I think more times than not on liking an album but it's typically uncanny in how we tend to like the exact opposite songs on the album than, than, yeah. um, than the other. So if we're both liking scoring this the same way, then I'm thinking that there might be some universal truth here, but uh, all right, cool. So next up neck and wrist. So this was the second single from the album, I believe uh, first being diet Coke. Um <laughs> It's hard to tell, too, because, you know, and we could talk about that, but the, the official single, you're absolutely right. Okay. And so uh, this is also produced by Pharrell. 
This one at first blush, we talked about a, a little, actually we did an entire podcast on this um, a couple weeks ago and we focused mostly on the subliminal, uh, this is the Jihad, like against Faison Love and, um, you know, just how Jay is such a master doing that. Um, the more I listen to Jay's verse, the more I like it. There's just so much in it. You know, it's such depth with such seemingly simplistic lyrics um, you know, but Jay is able to like really kind of take down his cadence and flow, but still keep the complicated meaning. So I think it's dope. I don't like Push's verse on this. Um, you know, the cadence of doing the sing song, you like ending up high, like on every bar. Yeah. You know, if it had done it, if you'd done it a couple times, um, you know, during the song, cool, but to do it on every single line, uh, became, um, distracting for me and was not I, I was not feeling that the beat though the more i listen to it again trap drums and minimalist like um you know highs like i think pharrell killed this too so for me like pharrell is like he's he's three for three and like really kind of winning so far on this album Three O pharrell i do agree with that i um this song has grown on me and i agree with everything you said the j part I do miss that kind of totally in pocket Jay-Z that we've had in years past. But in the last four years or so, I mean, post 444, but everything is love. You know, he's kind of got this free form thing where it's still, you know, it's still flow, but it's not the Jay that, you know, I, I put high and above so many other people for so long. I agree with you 100% on Pusha's verse. It's not, it doesn't measure up. And to me, Drug Dealers Anonymous is still the superior record of the two. Um, but oddly enough, and this is a testament to Pharrell, I had to go back and remind myself or, or do the research on who produced that. Because this beat, you know, you spoke about the, um, the technicality where he said that about Jay-Z with politics as usual. And what was it? Uh, B minor or something? What did you say? A minor. A minor. A minor. Yeah. Um, Pharrell clearly studied DDA and found out what the record to make it as a sequel. You know, you think of like Crooklyn Dodgers and Return of the Crooklyn Dodgers. One's produced by a Tribe Called Quest, one's produced by Premier. Those records sound incredible side by side. Like there's a continuation. Pharrell did that here. And the first joint, you know, DDA was produced by DJ, I hope I'm saying it right, Dahi, you know, who's no stranger to hit records. But you couldn't convince me that Pharrell didn't produce both of them right now. Like that's how crazy it is. This joint is absolutely growing on me, but more so in the J way and in the beat than Pusha's role. Totally agree with the 3-0. Yeah, I love the wordplay from both. And, you know, I do appreciate Push's attempt to push the boundaries with this flow. But like you said, man, after um, Drug Dealers Anonymous, the bar was raised so high. You just want to see Pusha and Jay go toe-to-toe. You know, these are two titans, two titans who, like, built their careers on, you know, coke rap. So you want to see them both shine at their best. Um, and, I, again, like, I, I get what they were trying to do and something different. But sometimes you got to indulge the fans too, you know? So the next like, song... Like Jay okay. said, though, like on um, on to the next one, uh, Brothers Want My Old Sound by My Old Album. So yeah. there you go. And I, I play them all, man. Yeah. But uh, the, the next one, you know, is called Just So You Remember. It is a Kanye ensemble record. He produced it with FNZ and Boogs the Beast. Boogs is a, a person that it was going to appear in a few different places on this album. Um, you know, I want to be careful about sample snitching. Obviously, I think mentioning the Donny Hathaway is safe, um, at least, you know, as it pertains to this album. 
the next song to heads that follow quantum projects or soul sides or, or maybe just know their um trip hop i don't love that term but you know what i mean this is a very familiar record and it's laid out the same way that it was 20 years ago um this one bothered me like there are so, so many times you can use a familiar sample or a loop um and freak it case in point you know diamond d had uh you know um what, what, what was it with Buster Rhymes? We had New York shit, you know, and yeah, DJ yeah. Scratch produced it. Um, but Swizz got on the record and really freshened it up. And that was, um, why was my brain? Diamond D and uh, Stunts of Blunts. What was that joint? Um, freestyle. No, it's not freestyle. That's that shit. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Yeah. But they took a loop exactly the same way, but they, they revived it. I went it. for they, mine. I went for mine. Went for mine. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. This coffee isn't strong enough. But, um, <laughs> You know, you can do that. And we've seen that other places in hip hop. But this was a time where I thought Kanye and, and the rest of the producers were incredibly lazy, especially when you're using the exact same portion of a vocal to tell a story in the record. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought that this one, you know, on a beat wise was a bit of a letdown. Um, and do you want to read what Pusha T told uh, Rolling Stone about the song? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, take it. Cool. He said the title so says it all, just so you remember. He said, I never want people to forget who they're dealing with. And, you know, it also was very important to him that there were no guests. It's just about him rap-wise. He says, I'm the star of the show. Are you kidding me? That's why I made this song. So, so people have been watching me post pictures of my son for 20 months now, and they see me calm. But no. This song is about my mentality and mind state. I can tap back in whenever I'm ready and need to. And I think that's emblematic. You know, I think that obviously applies to the content when Pusha stretches back 20 years to talk about VA, but he will also do that. I think to your point about even tapping into trap sounds, at any given moment, Pusha can remind you that he is a top elite MC. And that's, you know, that's the case here. I don't fault Pusha on the record. I think that he really does his job but I think when you think of an album that's pinned as a versus with two of the best producers in hip hop history, this one sonically is a letdown. So I like this song more than you did. Um, you know, I, and I'm glad you put the reference in because it was killing me. I even went to who sampled <laughs> and it did. It, it only had this song and I knew that I'd heard it multiple times from an artist that I really loved. And so when you put that in, I was like, yep, there it is. And I knew what type of artist it was, too. I just couldn't re remember what the song was. So, uh, but I like the sample. And Ye did what I was saying he should have done um, in the last song on this one, in that he actually let the, let the vocals be the chorus instead of, like, you know, running it through the entire song. And so uh, he let Push's vocals breathe. And I thought Pusha was just in like typical Pusha form. I thought he murdered the track. Uh, I thought it was Kanye's best beat so far. So for me, you know, I, I gave this one to Ye. I thought this one accomplished what it needed to do. So for me, I had it 3-1 after this. But um, the next song is Diet Coke. That was the first official single produced by Kanye and 88 Keys, um, who's like super dope. I think one of the most unsung uh, producers in hip hop. This guy has been killing it for more than 20 years with like Black Star. And, you know, he's, he's done stuff for Kanye, like Stay Up. 
He did stuff on um, No Church in the Wild. I no mean, Church in the Wild, and yeah. also uh, I think he did Murder to Excellence too. Um, mm-hmm. On uh, Watch the Throne, uh, you know he's got songs on Donda. This guy has been um, just a killer on tracks for a long time. I'll tell you a funny story real quick about '88. Um, yeah, Justin Hunt, you know, part of the AFH family. He and I were, I think, you know, taking maybe the F train in New York one night with another coworker at the time. Um, and we just happened to be on the train with 88 keys. And I had spoken 88, a bunch on the phone, just a new 88. We said, what's up. And this was 2012, late 2012. And we asked 88, like, yo man, where are you headed? We're going to this party. Do you want to come with? He's like, oh, that sounds fun, but I'm going to work on Kid Cudi's album whichever album it was at the time. <laughs> and the third guy that was with us that didn't know 88, didn't know him from Adam, pun intended. Um, he was like, yo, can we roll? <laughs> 88 was like, nah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was funny, man. We went on to have a, a really good night, man. And, and the, the funny thing is, is the album that I think he was working on didn't come out for some time. But to everything you said, you know, phenomenal producer, Interestingly enough, you know, this song was on an 88 beat tape 18 years ago. Oh, that's um, crazy. Yeah, and oddly enough, you know, 88, who I made my joke, but he put out one of the best concept albums of the last 15 years, The Death of Adam, you know, all about, you know, sex and loss of innocence and, and just uh, general kind of lust and temptation. He, um, you know, he had been working on a concept project called The Makings of Crack Cocaine. And this beat, you know, at least before Kanye added whatever elements to it was part of that, which I love, you know, we hear that time and time again of just like things that are sitting around that ultimately find their moment. And Diet Coke is that. That's dope. 88 is managed by a really good friend of mine, one of my uh, real close friends for like 25 years now, Daniel Glogauer. So I spent quite a bit of time with him. One of the nicest, most humble dudes in the world. So I'm sure when he told your guy, nah, he can't come, he did it. <laughs> In a nice way, instead yeah. of like, nah, dummy, like, um, yeah. But yeah. So this this is my favorite song on the album. And it, it begs the question, you know, now that you said that, as to who's responsible for what. Uh, I will admit that I was lukewarm to it when it first came out. But mm-hmm. for me, it's gotten better with every listen, just like um, um, ne- uh, Next and Wrist uh, does too, you know. But um, this one... You know, I think Pusha just shines lyrically. Um, the structure is really interesting for me in that the chorus, if you can even call it that, is prolonged. It's almost like it sounds like a first verse, but then Pusha like goes into a different cadence after that. And that cadence, you know, if you want to call it the first verse or second verse, he eases into, I think, his most murderous flow in the entire album. It just so is in pocket with the beat. And um, it's like the pusher that I love. And, but then he repeats it again and goes to the second verse. So, you know, this one for me is like, you know, but I got to keep listening because even as I listen to it today, there are songs that I might like as much too. And this is the kind of album that I think will open up over time. Now, I've probably listened to it like eight times since Friday. I purposefully listen to it at different day parts and on different days to, t- to try and like receive it differently. I've listened to it on headphones. I've listened to it on an open speaker. I've listened in my car. I've really tried to do what I can to experience it in different ways. 
And this song, man, is, is tough for me. Um, but but what were your thoughts? And I got agree to Pharrell, by the way, now. Yeah, okay, cool. And 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 we differ in one. I gave the I didn't give Kanye the point on the last round. So what would my total be? Uh three one if you if you give him a point on this one. Okay, and I do, and I do, okay. and, and shout out to 88. So I'm at three one. I really like what you said. There were three singles of this album. One of them we were not told was part of this album. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, I like this song so much more in the context of the album than I did on just a standalone single. And maybe that was Pusha T's, you know, rollout. You know, does it ever cost an album when you're talking large? You know, and a lot of artists do that these days of, yo, I got the best album you've ever heard. This is the album of the year. So your expectations are pretty lofty. This is a really good joint. And, and I appreciate it where it sits in the album. I keep playing it. And it, it's totally a song that would have fit on Daytona. Um, like to me, I might be inclined to put this on Daytona and take infrared off, which I know you said you're a fan mm-hmm. of. Um, but it, it, it fits the aesthetic climb and evolution of Pusha T really well, which again is just crazy to me that it happens on an 18 year old beat. Yeah. And it sounds, it does not sound 18 years old to me at all. It sounds very contemporary, but again, to what we discussed earlier, Pusha's music is kind of timeless. So I mm-hmm. guess that makes sense. So, so the next, oh, yeah, go sorry. ahead. Well, the uh, next song is rock and roll. Um, I watched uh, Push, a Pusha T interview on The Breakfast Club. He talked about, you know, the album. This is where he talked about um, the fact that he had Kanye and Pharrell and the process he had with them. And he said this song was the only collaboration between the two of them. Kanye produced it. He chopped a sample. It's a Beyonce sample that sped up, like kind of chipmunk soul style. Um, it's also, but... Kanye couldn't find the right drum sound. You know, no matter he worked on the drums for about a week, couldn't find the right drum sound. So then he said, you know, can you get Pharrell to do the drums? Because he liked Pharrell's drums better. So Pharrell laid the drums. And to my knowledge, that was Pharrell's contribution on the song. Um, OG Volta is also a co-producer on this one. This is where the album lost me. Um, I really just did not like this song. Uh, I didn't like the way the sample was used. Again, throughout the entire song, you know, kind of dominating instead of like being in the background to play a supporting role to um, to Pusha. For me, it's also a continuation of the sound that Kanye has really played a- around a lot with on Donda. You know, it's kind of a Baroque, almost operatic type sound. Um, you know, he's he's being very big and bombastic and I get it when you see his listening uh, parties and stadiums and things like that, what he's going for, the aesthetic that he, that, that he wants. But to me, the role of a great producer is why I like Rick Rubin so much is that they're there to bring out the best in the artists instead of having the artists conform to them or, you know, or, or just doing a beat and having someone rap over it. And to me, this song and the, the, the song we talked about before, um, you know, with the Donny Hathaway sample, are just kind of evidence of self-indulgence. You know, I think Mm -hmm. Ye is putting himself first in this project. And even though Pusha picked the tracks, uh, you know, the way it's mixed and everything, you know, suggests that, you know, Kanye had a heavier hand than maybe he should have. And yeah, I I just wasn't feeling it. And, you know, but there's some, also some history there with Kid Cudi. You want to talk about that? Sure. And, And even before I get to that, I think I agree with you, you know, of the first seven songs, this is by far the weakest link. Um, yeah, and and to me, this this is exactly where I think Kanye has deviated from his 
production greatness in the last three years. I think it really started around Jesus is King um, and everything you said, Baroque, operatic, like you get some of that here. Um, also, you know, Kid Cudi and Kanye have had an on again, off again, friendship, business relationship through the last, uh, you know, five, six years. And Cudi has announced that this is the last time he and Kanye will ever work together and that it was recorded before they're falling out, you know, obviously for somebody else's album where Cudi's beyond clearances with that, presumably. Um, I asked myself if I cared. Do you? I don't. I don't, you know, uh, the music is the music, you know? Yeah, I um, I will always respect Kid Cudi. I think he is a pioneer of a melodic, um, evocative sound that has dominated, you know, rap music for the last 12 to 13 years. I think his debut album in 2019 was one of the best albums put out that year. I think it was incredibly original. Um that being said, I love what, what Cudi's done for Kanye albums. I think on his own albums, Kanye's production has been less interesting to me. I think, you know, Cudi works with other people that I find to be far more um, capable of enhancing his sound than Ye. And this one, I just generally, you know, it, it, that doesn't mean anything to me. And perhaps a song like Rock and Roll is exactly why. But yeah, I thought this one was weak. And also, you know, Kanye on the song sounds incredibly hoarse and raspy. And I know everything he does is deliberate, especially right now. Obviously, the man is going through a lot of things, you know, at home and his personal life. And I think he leans into that raw emotion. But in this case, I don't think that that having a, a scratched out voice like that adds anything to the song. If anything, it just feels for, again, a big budget album that's been touted as AOTY. I don't want those kind of things in there. That's just me uh, personally, maybe. Yeah, so it's still 3-2 Pharrell uh, in my book, 3-1 Pharrell in your book. Uh, so that brings us to the next song, Call My Bluff, another Pharrell joint. This is now, so as Kanye, Kanye is stumbling, Pharrell is now just in his bag, right? Mm -hmm. And he goes to a sound that to me is reminiscent of Hell Hath No Fury era uh, Pharrell and Neptunes. Um, you know, to me, it seems like Pharrell has approached this with a strategy, and you know, to your point about neck and wrist being reminiscent of um, Drug Dealers Anonymous, you know, he is going back to highlights and push his career and creating contemporary versions of those songs with this. And so, um, you know, again, Push's flow is a bit sing-songy on this, um, especially on the hook, not as much as on neck and wrist. And I'm wondering if that's Pharrell vocal catching, uh, coaching because, you know, Pharrell, um, I think, does play a part in that. But uh, I appreciate Pusha diverse, diversifying his flow. There's one line, though, that caught my attention in this one. And he said, sometimes I wish my fan base was more like J. Cole's. So let me ask you, what do you think he meant by that? What is J. Cole's fan base and what do you think Pusha's fan base is? I mean, I think J. Cole, you know, has just kind of the everyday folks fan base of like you got you know college students college graduates people paying mortgages doing this um that could be one i'll shoot another one to you i mean i'm curious if 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 j cole um and i say this again as a white dude has a blacker fan base um you know recently uh it came up in the hot ones interview where one of the you know demographics that really saved Pusha t's career um was a term that i'd never heard before that push used clipsters you know these kind of hip 
hipsters that really latched on to pitchfork reviews and idolized the clips through things like hell hath no fury when the group you know was critically lauded but commercially eh. um so i wonder it could be either of those two things um because oftentimes like i've seen you know those j you and i've been to j cole concerts together there's a really diverse crowd and at a time when hip-hop audiences can be wider and wider maybe it's that maybe it's also just you know like a, a, a spectrum of people but those are two big opinions what do you think that's interesting um if that's it if that's if that's what you're saying then i, I appreciate that take you know I, I had a more cynical view in that uh i heard him saying you know because he does coke rap he thinks he raps for d-boys and i i just to your point, don't think that's true. You know, maybe there, there, there's some uh, segment of that, but I think to your point, he's much more of a college radio pitchfork type audience type rapper. Uh, whereas Cole is across the entire spectrum. Uh, you know, it reminds me of when Jay rapped on a uh, moment of clarity and we, we got a lot of black album references in this podcast, but he said, if skills sold truth be told, I'd probably be lyrically Talib Kweli. Truthfully, I wanted to rhyme like common sense, but I did five mil. I ain't been rhyming like common sense. Um, and in that, you know, Jay is clearly saying that he wished that his lyricism could be commercial. Uh, but, you know, he has to take it down to another point we've been talking about in order to have that commercial appeal, even though he does maintain his cleverness. Um, but Cole, like, never dumps down his lyrics. Cole is like a lyrical monster. And I think he went even harder than most times on the off season, he will definitely like spread out sonically and do trap beats and things like that in order to like, you know, keep the sound contemporaneous, but uh, contemporary, but, you know, I think that Cole's fan base is much bigger than pushers too. When you think, when you talk streams and sales and things like that. So um, maybe that could be it too, you know, yeah. but I, I just don't think, I just don't see Pusha being self-deprecatory like that, which is why I have a hard time believing either of those interpretations. I definitely, um, I support you on the Black Album, you know, reference. I think that throughout this album, I think Pusha studied his his kind of North Stars. I think Jay is absolutely one of them. And there's multiple places, whether you want to talk about that blueprint approach of two producers or three producers, you know, the, the Lost Ones connection to this. Absolutely. I think that he does that. And I think he's done that throughout his career. And Jay is one of the people that push can openly say I look up to, especially at a point when they're, you know, two plus collaborations deep. Yeah, absolutely. So in my book, I got it four two Pharrell. And for you it's four one Pharrell. It's four one and, and and you know I didn't speak on it. I think this is one of the best beats on the album. Um not my favorite, but probably my second favorite. I think that um Pharrell again just just does it and, and you articulated it so well. I liked it on that. But when you made the connection to Hell Hath No Fury, that nails it. And a lot of people, you know, will say that that is one of the best Neptune's produced albums. That was a benchmark for the clips. Um, you know, didn't have the hit power of Lord Willing. Um, but yeah, good, good, good spot. I totally subscribe to that. Word. Um, next up is interesting. So this is the joint Scrape It Off, a Pharrell production. Um, you know, you spoke earlier about Pusha with, trap drums and kind of evolving with times we've seen it uh a few times recently you know Nas did it with King's Disease Pusha is trying to not trying to he's he's working with some of the movers and shakers of today in this case he gets Little Uzi Little Uzi Vert from Philly and Don Tolliver and on paper when the track list to this album released I was um you know I just 
kind of didn't think much of it. In the end, I think that this is a really um, interesting song that's very well executed. It's, uh, it's, it's catchy, and especially in the case of Uzi, I think he shows why he's, you know, an MC, and I'll say MC, not rapper, that's worth checking for. Um, he really rises to the occasion on this one. Yeah. Did, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Go, I'll say this is probably my second favorite song on the album, um, and it's one of those that could eventually maybe become my favorite. I think mm-hmm. it's a great beat. The hook is great. It's instantly catchy. To your point, Uzi really surprised me with his lyricism on this. You know, we've seen this with uh, Trippy Red and XXXTentacion when these rappers are labeled as SoundCloud rappers or like Denzel like Curry, mumble, yeah. mumble rappers. A lot of these dudes can spit, man, like really, really spit. Slump God. Um, um, so like Uzi like rapped on this and I thought it was dope. Um, his flow to me was reminiscent of 2010's Wiz. You know, Taylor Alderdice just came out on um, DSPs this week, too. Uh, great mixtape. But, you know, that was, um, you know, along the, around the time of like Black and Yellow and things like that. Just uh, real cool, laid back. Um, it was interesting to hear him without autotune. So, yeah, everything about the song one for me. I have it as 5-2, Pharrell, Kanye. You got it as 5-1, just a straight like trouncing at this point. Yeah, man. Um, I'll do the next one, too. This is uh, Hear Me Clearly. This is another Yay Ensemble, uh, again, with Bugs the Beast. This one is also with Two Cats, Lucas Stars, and Ty Mind. Um, interestingly enough, just some context, Loki, uh, you know, who you know, I've known for some years, definitely insider in the culture, tweeted that this was originally supposed to include Nas. Just interesting factoid. Obviously, that doesn't uh, you know, play into our rating, um this is the song that i kind of was alluding to earlier this came out between neck and wrist well between diet coke and neck and wrist and you know at the same time push is rolling out this album nego is rolling out his album uh called i know nego which is released through steven victor's label um steven victor being longtime clips and push a t manager and this came out and it was unclear to me um you know we were told that this was for that but it ends up being both places I really like this record. Um, you know, at the time, I actually preferred it to Diet Coke. I don't think I would quite say the same, but as a unofficial second single, I really, um, I really think it, it holds up, you know, pretty well. Um, any noteworthy takeaways for you on it? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's another tough yay beat, you know, and I think that he fares much better on the beats that don't use these vocal samples on this album. You know, I think yeah. that when he just lets the, the the beat support the MC, he wins. And, you know, for me, uh, it pushed it up to 5-3 Pharrell, 5-2 for you. So Shout out to Schooly D. Yeah. yeah. So the next the next track is Open Air, another Pharrell one. Um, you know, even though it isn't necessarily my favorite song on the album or second favorite, it might slide into that slot because Pharrell just murdered this track in my opinion I think it might be his best beat on the entire album um, and again he just pulls out that vintage pusher the pusher that you know is just like just gonna murder a beat and uh, you know for me this one was just you know there's, there's not a whole bunch of say except just I think it's a great one and you know got it to 6-3 Pharrell for me yeah 6-2 for me um, all right bring us home 
Cool. So the last one is I pray for you. And this one is um, featuring malice. Notably, it is not no malice, you know, malice being his brother from Clips, who took on uh, the moniker of no malice after he uh, retired from the Clips. Malice became very religious and kind of renounced the lifestyle that um, Clips have rapped about and, you know, potentially lived and all that stuff. And so he has done some things on his own as no malice as well and put out like more spiritual rap. Um, he and Pusha have reunited a few times over the years, but it is a rare, rare occurrence. And so the notion of him and Pusha re reuniting um, on a song by Kanye was something that had my hopes up really, really high. I think I, I came into this one as anticipatory of it as I was for Neck and Rest with Jay. And I got to say, it might be the biggest disappointment on the album for me. Um, this is once again, Kanye, I think being overindulgent with the, the operatic thing. Um, you know, the lyrical content is super tough for me, um, but I just don't think either Push or Malice sounds good on the track. I would love to hear a remix of this. Like this is a challenge. Anyone who can get vocals out there who's a producer and put together like a beat they think would really, really like fit their, their lyrics. I think this could be a classic song, but the beat just ruins it for me, you know, and for the clips reunions, which are so rare, it feels like a squandered opportunity for me. You know, um, Push did say that on the breakfast club that he was working with Malice to get more material out of him, but he also let it be known that, you know, he, he said he big brothered him, you know, sometimes, you know, he says, yo, you got to be on this track and you know, Malice will do it, but, it's not something he foresees being easy or even likely that it's going to happen. So that just kind of reinforces for me that these opportunities have to count and for the beat to overshadow or not mesh with them, I think is, is kind of inexcusable in the situation. What about you? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we've mentioned clips a lot, but I, even in the re-up gang, when they had, you know, Ab Liva and Sandman, those were some of my favorite mixtapes of the day. And Malice is a supreme MC. Um, you know, I've personally struggled to feel as um, connected since his lifestyle change and since his content change, um, both on Jesus is King when they reunited, as well as this, I've been, my eyebrows raised, like, what does Eclipse track sound like in 2022? And just as the case in 2019, I'm, I haven't been, it hasn't measured up to what they're capable of and what that brand and legacy means. Um, this is not the way that I feel as though the album should, should have ended. Um, you know, to your point, this and rock and roll were the two weakest links. So yeah, yeah man, I, I think you said it all. So, so what's your final tally? So for me, it's six, three. And so that means for you it's six, two. So Pharrell is the clear victor in either case. You know, coming in, I think I was on the fence between Pharrell and Kanye with um, Pusha, uh, maybe leaning a little bit toward Pharrell, but it was tough for you. You were, I think, kind of strongly in the Kanye camp. So are you surprised by this outcome? Yeah, I am. I mean, I think that even in the kind of post Pablo and I, I, I really I love the Pablo album, but I think that Kanye as a producer is at his best when he produces for Pusha T. Um, lately in the last five or so years and so to see Pharrell do it absolutely that uh that really surprised me in this case and 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 it wasn't Pharrell just going back to the Neptune sound and, and let us be clear there's no Chad Hugo on here at least in the credits this is Pharrell um 
but he kind of created a new lane that referred back in one place that you mentioned. But hey, I'm totally fine if the next Pusha T album is is totally handled by Skateboard P. Word. So why do you think this happened? Uh, Pusha says he had full control over picking the beats. He's worked with Kanye in the past. They've had magic together in the past. What do you think led to this outcome, given you know all the all the potential that that was there? I mean, this is purely speculation, but I I don't I think the last great album that Kanye produced. Um, you know, I know you said Donda's growing on you. I think it's a really good album. I know he worked with a huge team. I look like records like Jail, and I think that they're really um, interesting and 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 you know you can't get that anywhere else. But I don't think that he's in a season where his production is as sharp as it once was. I think his last, you know, in 2018, the Pusha Daytona album and the Tiana Taylor album were really stand out to me. But other than that, I don't feel like we're getting that producer. And I think, you know, it would be very knee jerk to say, oh, you know, he's going through a divorce and all that. But it has to factor in. Um, And meanwhile, Pharrell, who consummate competitor, you know, doesn't portray himself like that probably in the way that Kanye does or even push a T, but I feel like Pharrell rose to the occasion and, and, and let's, you know, you asked a question earlier about legacy, you know, Pharrell and Chad are deeply responsible for the clip success early in their career. And Pusha has this second life with good music and with Kanye and with that crew. If I'm, if I'm Pharrell, I have something to prove, you know, I, I want to create, the records that do my legacy and my chemistry with this artist justice. Um, and by and large, I think he did that on this album. What about the, what about the push aside? Because, you know, he did pick two or three um, joints that we both liked, you know, um, and presumably he had several others to pick from. So what do you think was going on in his mind? What, what was he thinking when he picked those tracks that to you and me, we're just off-putting, not even just like weaker in the context. I just found them to be off-putting in general. So what do you, what do you think it was? Yeah, I don't know that I can attribute that to anything. I, I do think there's a reason why, um, you know, there's not a ton of albums. You know, I said Blueprint. Um, Commons B is a good example because that was Kanye and some Jay Dilla tracks. Um, even Common kind of did the same thing with, um, you know, the Resurrection album, if I'm not mistaken, with no ID and Doug Infinite like but it's hard to come in with a whole album and two producers especially when they're kind of really 50 50 splitting the album and although you know Kanye and Pharrell are two of the best I would have to imagine that that's going to create um some spots that could be disjointed even though they work together on one song and I presume they both were hearing a lot of what was coming in from each other it's just hard to do but do you see something more specific than that no, I think it, I think it was legitimately the pursuit of art. I think they wanted to push the boundaries, and um, you know, sometimes like it hits the mark, other times it doesn't. I'm sure there are going to be people in the audience who disagree with us vehemently. You know, definitely leave your comments. You know, hit the subscribe button if you found the conversation engaging. You know, all that. But you know, for me, and I even know in group chats, like one of my um, closest friends former DJ and like a super, super music his consumer loves all music. And, you know, uh, for him, rock and roll is his favorite song on the album. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. They played it like, you know, 20 times. So, yeah. um, you know, to each his own. But for me, um, those were definitely the, the ones that, that uh, were kind of lackluster. All right. So let's talk about the album overall. Uh, how would you, on a, on a score of one to 10, you know, one being the 10 being a classic, where would you put this? The number I came up with is a 7.3. Um, it's just, it's, it's a little bit better than a three, five. I, I think a lot of hip hop heads are used to the five system. Um, you know, 73, you know, that's, that's where this kind of feels like as a hundred, which, you know, many, many albums can't come close to that. But I do think Pusha has, has shown fairly recently that he's capable of much more. What about you? Yeah, you know, so I'm going to give it an eight and a half. You know, uh, I liked I like nine out of the 12 songs. Um, by my count, you like eight out of the 12. By today's standards, that's a huge, that's a great accomplishment for an album, especially a rap album to have 75% bangers. You know, in theory, it should be a 7.5, but I think the quality of those nine songs is strong enough to push it up a point or two. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's at an eight and a half. Um you know, so where where would you put this in Pusha's catalog? So that's a really good question. I, I think that Day- Daytona is still, you know, his benchmark release. And um, then I would say King Push, which is an album that really suffered from a late December release, uh, if memory serves. It might have been late November. But, you know, I think a lot of us think of like, again, to Pusha's point, album of the year, like this kind of this is the yearbook of our our lives as hip hop heads. And that album was much, much better than the talk about it deserved. Um, then I would say this. Um, and then I would say my name is my name. And, and there's a little caveat there. I think Numbers on the Boards is one of Pusha's greatest songs. I think that's another case where Jay-Z is, is, is a North Star to him. Um, but I thought the rest of that album was way too scattered. This one's a little bit tighter, uh, both musically and thematically. Um, so yeah, for me, this is number three. What about you? You know, I would have been with you on Daytona until I went back and listened to Daytona yesterday, you know, Um, and, you know, just, okay. So quantitatively speaking, like I said, I like nine songs in this album, a a lot actually. And Daytona is only seven songs. So just, just by pure numbers, even if every song on Daytona was a banger, um, this would still have two more songs that I like. And so I would give it the nod just based on that. But in listening to Daytona, there were only really three songs that um, I loved on that song, uh, that album. My name is my name. Um, uh, Infrared, which you said you don't don't love, and the games we play, which is probably my favorite song on the album, one of my favorite like kind you, of you men. If you know, you know, right? I, instead of my name is my name, right? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, if you know, you know. Yeah, yeah if you know, you know. Um, the game games we play in Infrared. So. Um, you know, that's to me three to nine. And so I give it the nod over that. Um, I do like the succinctness of Daytona and, um, you know, the, the sonic coherence of it. So I probably would put it as number two. Um, you know, number three for me is My Name Is My Name. Uh, and number four is King Push before um, Dom, Darkest Before Dawn, the prelude. Man. So all that said, 
Do you think that Pusha has a classic album, like a 10? We're talking solo? Yeah. No. I think we, you and I have, have gotten some real... I think we've made some fans for saying what others might not, and I think we've gotten some, some hate mail. But if we're going to sit on here and say that Nas and Eminem each have one classic album, something I think we've agreed on, with, you know, and I, I search anyone to, to or I, I tell anyone to look for those discussions um, when they were taped. Push doesn't. Um, no. Do you? I don't. I, I think this is getting closer. Um, uh, would I call it a masterpiece? I think it's a great album. Do I think it's the best album of the year so far? I, don't, I wouldn't go that far either. But will it be in my top 10 at the year's end? I think there's a very high likelihood of that. I do think it's going to get, continue to get better for me. Um, and it could move up to like 10 songs out of 12, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's a classic, you know, by definition for me, you know, um, just to be uh, a, a repetitive again, a classic is, is an, as a body of work that is basically unskippable, you know, maybe in this day and age, one or two, given that, you know, album track listings have expanded, but I, I even think that that is a part of creating a classic, you know, um, a lot of the best albums in history are shorter and you know, just more succinct. So um, th- there's definitely some skip points on this um, and actually just some songs that I think are just not good. Um, so, yeah, I-, I wouldn't say it's a classic, but I do think it's his best work and, uh, and, and on its way, I, you know, so one thing I want to talk about, too, about a classic, and we alluded to this earlier, is subject matter. So um, would you say that Push is a great MC? I would. I would. I, um, I think his wordplay, I think his delivery, um, you know, I, I think his ability to be compelling, it's all there. And, and great and classic are different words. But absolutely, I've, I've written throughout my career that Pusha T is a great MC, and I think he continues um, to be greater with time. I think the Pusha T of the last four years is better than the Pusha T 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So I think Pusha is a great MC, but I don't think he's shown us his greatness yet. And the reason I say that is because part of what makes a great MC for me is, um, or a great artist, is the subject matter. Mm-hmm. and really expanding on our views of the world, of ourselves. And I think part of that comes in telling your truth and all of your truth. So let's say that everything that Pusha says on Wax is true, right? Probably not the case. Because, um, you know, I think there's probably been like, you know, murder discussion and stuff like that. So probably not the case. But let's say that it is. There's also so much more to who he is as a man. And this is what I appreciate about Jay-Z. Jay-Z started off in this genre of rap, but it expanded over time to talk about his family, business, artwork, you know, things that people kind of roll their eyes at on Magna Carta, Holy Grail were very much his life at the time. And people embraced that by the time he got to 444. So for Pusha, you know, he said on The Breakfast Club that, the last couple of years have been transformative for him. Some positive, some negative. You know, uh, he's got a kid, and in that quote, Rolling Stone, you 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 read that about him posting mostly on IG about his his child. He's gotten married. Um, you know, he lost both of his parents recently. He's had really really impactful things in his life that I think he has he can discuss. And it's one thing if he weren't going to discuss them at all, right? But he's discussing them in interviews. They're not hidden. So why not put that in his artwork? 
that to me would kind of take him to a different level of greatness and allow him to make a classic album. And to me, be in a discussion with any MC out there in terms of his greatness. I think that his um, limitation in subject matter limits him as an MC and the abilities, the, the levels to which he can reach. But that's that's my thought. And that might come back to the J. Cole line, uh, however you want to interpret it, of what people expect from Pusha versus what they expect from Cole. And you look at a Cole or you look at a Royce, the five nine, or you look at a Black Thought, um, and album to album, you know, it's it's kind of a blank slate of like, what are we getting from this artist right now? Jay-Z being, I think, the the ultimate example of that. And I push it in a lot of ways is painted into a corner, but for, because he's such a great MC, I hope he has the confidence to take that step um, and still flash back the same way Jay has or Raekwon has or E-40 has um, and be whatever he wants to be. But um, I totally agree with what you're saying. So let yeah. me ask you one. Oh, go ahead. No, I think he's an incredibly skilled MC. I think the greatness comes with the subject matter too. It's not just about the skill. You alluded to it a moment ago, but I just want to get you on record. Um, earlier, you know, a few a month ago or so, you really went to the mat for another Virginia MC, Fly Anakin, in his album Frank. This is out now. There's been some other albums that have come out. Some, you know, we've done deep dives on. Some we haven't. Is is this your album of the year thus far? No, it's not. It's not. Um, you know, there there are, I think a few albums that I like better than this so far um you know for me i, I actually like the cypress hill album quite a bit i think that mm. is very very strong i like the earth gang album uh quite a bit um incredibly diverse um i love i do like fly anakin quite a bit um elzai and georgia ann is, is a great album too I think I'd put all those albums in the Dreamville, the Dreamville compilation, but, you know, often we kind of go back and forth on whether or not compilations qualify, but um, I, I think I might put each of those um, in the category. You know, I will say though, that as I continue to listen to this album, it could become that over the course of the year, just in listening to Diet Coke and Neck and Wrist and, you know, and how they've opened up over time. I do think this is an album that's just going to get better and better. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I'm still warming up to the Fly Anakin album, just on a taste level. Um, you know, I know it It was here very early. It was the first big album that we discussed. Uh, Cordae's from a bird's eye view was in the mix for me. Actually, Currency and Alchemist, the continuance, is, is an album that continues to open up to me over time, especially on the lyrical side. I mean, you know what you're getting with Alchemist. And also, I mean, I think... The album that I, I went on record as saying was my favorite um, was Benny the Butcher's Tana Talk 4. And you and I recorded that podcast um, within 24 hours of that album releasing. You know, in the case of Push, we're about 72 hours somewhere in there from it being out. Um, I do have to say, you know, there's definitely benefit to listening more and more. And well, Johnny P's Caddy, hands down, song of the year for me. Most incredible collaborate. Like, I love that record so much. Um, you know, I, I probably was a little bit strong on Benny um, for the same reasons that we're talking about with Push. So it's kind of an open class. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. All those albums you mentioned, the ones I added, they are from all the different corners of hip hop sonically, content wise. So 2022 is going to be an interesting year. And um, this week, it just got a lot more interesting. Do you want to talk about that? 
Yeah, it got way, way, way more interesting. You know, we've um, all been teased and have been anxious about the arrival of Kendrick Lamar's album. There have been a lot of false starts. There was a tweet last year um, from Top Dog, uh, the owner of Top Dog Entertainment, saying the wait is over. Everyone assumed that was Kendrick, you know, given, you know, the, the wild speculation and anticipation of his album. It turned out it was for Isaiah Rashad. Uh, Kendrick himself and Family Ties in his rap said that, um, be patient, brother, like music is coming soon. We thought that the November festival in Vegas, um, I forget the the name of it, but um, because Kendrick was going to be headlining that, we thought there'd be new music for that. Um, we thought that with the Super Bowl performance, that that was a perfect opportunity for Kendrick to drop. And every single time we've been met with disappointment. And then this week, out of nowhere, Kendrick responds on Twitter to a fan who said Kendrick Lamar is officially retired by dropping a link to oklamar.com. Um, I think it's oklamar, but it's oklama.com. Um, there have been a previous posting on that one posting back in August, we did an entire podcast around this where he announced that his last, his next album would be his final album on TDE. Uh, We wondered about the timing of that. We thought that maybe that's because the album was going to drop too, but instead what we got was the family ties video with Kendrick and baby King and Kendrick very proudly and um, you know, strongly waving the PG Lang flag. And I believe this might be a PG Lang affiliated site. Um, But so that was the announcement that was on the site at the time. And this week with the tweet, they put a link to the site again. It had a new folder and it just, there was not even, I don't think a a title of the folder, it was just a black folder, clicked it. And there was a letter saying that his new album was coming. Uh, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, right? Um, It's coming on May 13th. I will note that it's Friday the 13th and there's nothing, nothing that Kendra does that is not strategic and intentional. Uh, we all know that Dan was released on Good Friday. There was a lot of speculation that a second album was coming on Easter. For two weeks, people were buzzing about it. And we had a very strong hand in cracking the code that Dan was effectively two albums meant to be played forward and backward and producing different means de- depending on how you played it. That article is on our site. Still, um, I think our biggest to date so Friday the 13th, that album comes out. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Kendrick said that there is no other official source of information about this album except for that website. That means no news articles, no social media from TDE or anyone else. I thought that was a powerful statement. You know, um, he is completely controlling his own narrative. Um, but um and we don't know anything else. You know, traditionally, Kendrick, when he comes out with an album, will release a single at least the last few times within two to three weeks before. Um, the last couple albums have been the new iterations of the Heart series that he has. I think he's up to part. He's up to part four um, before, right? Uh, or no, this he's this he's will done be part four. four. He's so done. Four, I don't right? even. Yeah. Do you even know what happened on Tuesday? No. What What else happened on Tuesday? So. Site comes out Monday. The announcement is made. Everything yeah. you just said, and on Tuesday, the link on, uh, you know, OK Lamar, you know, the the the, the site you're talking about, 
had a page called the heart with 400 folders on it. Oh. Um, and if you clicked on any one of them, they all went to 404 errors, which everyone that's used the internet right. knows the frustration. Folder number 327 was blacked out. So at any day now, Kendrick Lamar presumably is going to release the fifth installment of the heart. Right. And I don't know about you. I was dead tired um, Thursday night, went to bed early, but I set my alarm to get up at 1201 to see if that in fact happened, especially with Pusha. I mean, they've worked together, but Kendrick has never been shy about inserting himself like a batteram into the, you know, rap discourse. It hasn't happened yet. But literally, as we're talking right now, that could be updated. Um, so something, again, like Kendrick is so supreme at making hip-hop fans excited. And 327, uh, you know, um, you wonder, is that 10? You know, or, or 3, 2, 7, 5, 12? Is that 12? Um, you know, 3 plus 2 plus 7 is 12? Is it, So the, um, the, the song is coming the day before. Is it five and seven? So May 7th, um, you know, what is it? There, there's definitely always significance to stuff that Kendrick does. So yeah, the heart part five coming on the seventh, maybe that's it too. Right. Um, uh, so yeah. Uh, but in any case, we're not going to spend too much time talking about this because I'm sure when that album drops, we'll be talking about it for weeks to come. You know, there's an entire podcast series called dissect dedicated to breaking down every song of Kendrick's album on Spotify. I encourage people to listen to that. That is, is like a 16 or 17 song uh, series, each one being almost an hour. Just, that's just how dense his stuff is. So, but what, what are your thoughts? Any, anything else to talk about? Yeah. I mean, I, I like the fact of like all statements come from us. One of the most boring trends of modern times is like what so-and-so adjacent artist says about an album before the public hears it. I feel like that is one of the things that ruined Dr. Dre anticipation, you know, of detox and then Compton and, you know, everyone's always telling you, Oh, I was in Dre's studio and you got to hear this. And you know what? I think in a time when the relationship between artists and fans or artists and listeners is as close as it is, let the artists control it. Um, so yeah, I'm really curious about this one. Um, the fact of how this rollout is, I wonder if TDE has any involvement or perhaps it's a situation, um, you know, like the chronic with Dre where, you know, that, that album financially benefited Eazy-E and Ruthless Records, but their logo was nowhere to be found on it. You know, there's been other cases throughout hip hop, but I mean, you know, up until this point, there's certainly been nothing acrimonious between those two camps. And as we reported, one of the first to report it, you know, Kendrick was a, you know, equity stakeholder in TDE. So there's a lot of love and history there. You know, he's rapped about those folks, you know, as recently as Damn, you know, look no further than, than Duckworth. But I'm super excited. And it's funny though, like, this happened on Monday, Tuesday, and late in the week, we got new music for the second time in April from TDE, courtesy of an Absol song called Holland Days, which is currently on our on the AFH playlist. Um, do you think those two things are related of TDE putting out, you know, new Schoolboy Q and new Absol music at the same time Kendrickson campaign? Yeah, man, I think it all goes to the question you ask, which is whether or not um, they have any involvement, um, because on the one hand, you know, so top has teased us. I can't remember the year it was, but he, te he teased us with a murderer's row of releases from TDE. It's supposed to be um, 
Q, Kendrick, I think Isaiah, SZA, and Absol. It's supposed to be five releases. Um, and so on the one hand, this could be, you know, they're releasing a single per week up until the week that it's Kendrick, and then his album comes, and then Q comes, and Absol comes. Uh, pause. Uh, and then, uh, <laughs> you know, so it could be that, or you know, or maybe TDE is drafting off the, the energy that, that Kendrick is going to bring. I, I, I believe it's intentional. I don't know what the, 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 the motivation behind it is, but I do believe it's intentional. How about you? Yeah. And by the way, just, just so folks know, we did a deep dive on the history of TDE as a label and their movement. Um, last year, check that out. We, we spent a lot of time doing a, a full timeline of their trajectory but sorry go ahead yeah no i mean i mean big facts i do think they're related and we we you know we historically see this of you know labels packaging things when they used to be in the store when you go in a store on a tuesday you know somebody that had a connection to an artist would also drop you know i remember anytime method man Ghostface drop it always felt like you got an inspector deck album or a master killer album not to make that comparison within black hippie but it, it stays in the consciousness because you know that among hip hop fans, as you're reporting on Kendrick, you got to report on Ab or got to report on Q. And, and I haven't, I would be stunned if their relationship, that brotherhood that is black hippie is, is not intact, regardless of business and personnel and moves. I mean, those guys have come in the game together. Um, so historically that I, I have to believe that they're all supporting each other, but but um, yeah, we'll see. Let, let me ask you one more question. Do you think that Kendrick has another album in the top? So I think about Frank Ocean and what happened with his Def Jam situation where he put out, I think it was Blonde and then a, another album all within like two or three weeks. Uh, one satisfied the contractual requirement to Def Jam. Then the next one was, you know, kind of his own kind of, work that he wanted to put out so you think that's a possibility you know people say this about frank ocean i you know and i'm not i'm not here to say otherwise but i i remember how that worked out for him kendrick to me one of the reasons i hold him in such high regard is he reminds everyone the value of quality the value of patience the value of timing i could not see him going against that um and frank ocean especially coming off of channel orange you know for a lot of folks raised the new standard, you know, of, of what that sound was. And I feel like he did himself no favors with those two albums. So no, I don't think so. Do you, you think there's any chance of that? I mean, it's possible just because it's been five years and um, that's a lot of time, but I agree with you. I think, I think this is going to be his last album. He's going to be focused on it. He's going to let it breathe. Um, he's going to tour on it. I do think we're going to get a next album sooner than five years, though. I think the next one may come in a year or two. I think the PG Lang album is going to be very different than this album, too. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Yeah, I hope so. Um, so there's one other piece of news that I want to go over. And, and this happens every year, it seems like. But, you know, the, the Library of Congress recording registry, you know, which is they deem they take 25 recordings every year and that they deem noteworthy. So you and I were talking about the word classic you know, what belongs in the library of the U.S. and, you know, of, of, of things that are recorded as sound. It can be speeches, it can be songs, it can be albums. Um, since 2002, you know, hip-hop has joined that party um, with albums and songs. 
we have, well, I'll say in 2002 was Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five's The Message, a song you and I both hold in the highest. Two years later, it was Public Enemy's Fear of a Black Planet. Not even It Takes a Nation of Millions. Interesting choice, but I would say, you know, a classic album in its own right. 2009, Tupac's Dear Mama enters. 2010, De La Soul's debut, Three Feet High and Rising. The next year, 2011, Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight goes in. In 2014, and this is where AFH started reporting it, Lauren Hill's Miseducation album entered. Uh, 2016, NWA Straight Outta Compton. Not unsurprisingly, it coincided, you know, one year after the Straight Outta Compton film. Uh, 2017, Run DMC's Raising Hell, album we've talked a lot about today. In 2018, Jay-Z's Blueprint went. In 2019, it was The Chronic. And in 2020, it was his Nas Illmatic. So there's two albums that are going in currently, and it is A Tribe Called Quest, The Low End Theory, which is their second album, and Wu-Tang Clan's Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers, the, uh, the 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 nine man collective's first album, so all classic it, material, boom, um, classic yeah. material, like no yeah. question, no question. Um, any any thoughts on you know the Wu or, or Tribe? Anything noteworthy? Obviously, one other point of note: uh, Tribe is up for induction in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame along with Eminem uh, this year, so it could be a breakthrough year for uh, for Tribe. But any other thoughts between those two albums? I will say that we had this competition called Finding the Goat, the Greatest of All Time, and we've done it for MCs, producers, uh, albums, and we did it for groups too. And if I remember correctly, it was Wu and ATCQ in the finals. Um, it was either them or Outkast, but I'm pretty sure it was ATCQ. So it's fitting. Um, for me, Tribe is one of my favorite groups of all time, and Low End Theory is probably my favorite album of theirs. It's definitely top five for me. So incredible. Uh, obviously, 36 Chambers is what it is. Uh, historic. Changed the sound of hip-hop. Changed the template for how people did business in hip-hop. Um, you know, launched an entire movement of MCs. You can't say enough about it, and, and now it's spawned an incredible series. We talked about the series in, in, a, in a former podcast, so I can't think of two albums more deserving. You know, I think it's just great that, and whoever's selecting these is definitely on point. They're being very judicious about it, and I hope they continue to be. Uh, but something that's meant to memorialize things forever, I think it's pretty awesome that that these two are going to be in that canon. Yeah, definitely. And I that was my question to you, is the low-end theory the right one? And I do agree. I think it is 100% the, uh, the way to go, and woo, without question, so... Yeah, you know, Midnight Marauders is incredible too, but I think it was a continuation. I think low uh, low end theory is what started it. It was the 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 birth of Fife as an MC, his coming out party. We did a an oral history featuring Bob Powers and Skeff Anson um, about low, the making of low end theory. So you know that's on the site. Check that out too. Really great piece. But yeah, man. Uh, so uh, anything else? No, man, that about covers it. You know, definitely check out the AFH playlist for new music. But uh, yeah, man, shout out to Pusha, Kanye, and Pharrell. And uh, man, until we do it again. Yeah, what's your sound, song of the week? Oh, yeah, I have to. All right, I'll give it up to Jay Cyanide with Why Even Try. I texted you that. He has a joint with Derringer that's on our playlist. Um, somebody who's worked with Kev Brown, Brooklyn-based. I believe he's originally from Washington, D.C., but that one's been heavy rotation for me. What about right. you? 
I'm gonna give it to scrape it off from pushing, mm. you know. Um definitely think uh that album has set a, a standard for for uh the year. And so yeah, looking forward to continue to grow with it. Dope, man. Well, until we do it again. Word, man. Peace. All right, peace. <laughs>